Welcome to the NIHR Dementia Researcher podcast, brought to you by DementiaResearcher.nihr.ac.uk, in association with Alzheimer's Research UK and Alzheimer's Society, supporting early career dementia researchers across the world. Welcome to the Dementia Researcher podcast, bringing together early career researchers and leaders within the field to discuss their research, hot topics, and to share career tips. I'm Dr. Anna Volkman. I'm a speech and language therapist and a senior NIHR research fellow at University College London. And it is my great pleasure to be here to host a special three-part podcast series exploring tech and dementia research. Today, um, I'm here with some PhD students from the Pan-European Distinct Group, or to give it, it its full name, the Dementia Intersectional Strategy for Training and Innovation Network for Current Technology, part of Interdem. In this first show, we're going to set the scene for the week and talk about our guests' individual projects, the distinct programme as a whole, and how technology research is helping in dementia. In the next episode, we'll move the focus onto how to set up and deliver tech studies. And then on Friday, we're going to explore evaluation and implementation but throughout, we will also learn about nine individual projects being delivered by our guests. Speaking of guests, let's move on to some introductions. So I'm delighted to be joined by three fantastic PhD students. We have Pascal Heinz from Maastricht University, Leslie Garcia from the University of Nottingham, and Maurizio Molinari-Ulati from University of Salamanca. Hello, everybody. Hello. Hello. Brilliant. For older people, carers, and people living with dementia, technological change can mean the difference between dependency and independency. And many of these come straight out of science fiction films, actually, like AI and 3D bioprinting. They're amazing. But for the minute... The pe people most benefiting from these advances are researchers, in actual fact. On the Dementia Researcher website this week, you will find blogs and articles about those. But in these podcasts and for the Distinct programme, the focus is on readily available technologies that we can use right now to help people living with dementia, many of which, I have to confess clinically, we are trying to use as well. Now, Pascal, Leslie and Maurizio, three people working in this field. So in the first part of the show, we're going to learn about the Distinct Program and why tech is important. And then in the second program, part of the program, we will hear more about each of your research projects. So I'm going to start with Pascal. Could you please introduce yourselves and give an overview of what Distinct is for us? Yes, sure. Thanks for having us. It's uh, great to be here. Um, I'm from Belgium and I'm a PhD student at uh, Maastricht University, so in the Netherlands. Um, I'm an occupational therapy by training and so I worked with people with dementia, but I was always interested in doing research and how to improve uh, the lives of uh, older adults with dementia and their caregivers. And yeah, that's exactly what this thing is about. You already told the work of 15 PhD students. We are called early stage um, researchers and we're carrying out different projects across Europe. 
And all these research projects focus on uh, improving the lives of people with dementia and their carers through technology. It's also a training network, so it's to um, develop a training network for uh, in Europe for us PhD students. So we all get uh, training together. Some people are more from the psychology side or even uh, a techie. <laughs> Fantastic. So what I'm hearing is you're a subgroup within the INSADEM group who all have in common that your research is focused on, on technology development and use in dementia and you have the common aim of supporting one another in, on these journeys. Is that fair? Is that a fair summary? Yeah, that's a very good summary actually. Uh, we are also collaborating with each other. Um, we are working in eight different European countries, uh, but there are also other partners included in the project, like, uh, for example, also enterprises for technology uh, in dementia care. Thank you. So coming to technology, I wonder, can you tell us why we should be looking at technology? Why should your whole group be looking at technology? Who would like to answer? I can go first. Um, I think that technology has really the potential to connect people. I think we all saw this in, in the COVID period, uh, especially in the beginning, where we actually all had to isolate and to uh, from our social network. And uh, technology had become huge in connecting people via Zoom chats or via WhatsApp or whatever. And I, I think that's also very true for people living with dementia. Really good point. Really interesting. Now, Leslie, if I could bring you into the conversation, perhaps you could introduce yourself and then perhaps follow up on telling us a little bit about old, how older people might struggle with technology. Because I hear that Pascal was saying we've all had to deal a bit more with technology in the pandemic. But clinically, I found lots of my clients who are, are older, I think they are, many of them struggle, but many of them manage quite well. What do you think? Am I continuing a kind of myth? What's your opinion? Thank you, Anna. That's, that's a great question. And thank you for having us. Um, my name is Leslie Garcia, and I am also... Uh, an ESR, early stage researcher, based at the University of Nottingham. I'm originally from Trinidad and Tobago, and I'm also an occupational therapist by training. Um, your question about older adults struggling with technology being a myth or not, um, I think it's an interesting question, and especially the way it's been phrased. It gives me an opportunity to dive a little bit deeper into the question itself. When we ask, do older people struggle with technology? I think we first have to ask which older people, um, you know, older people is not a, a one big group. They're not all the same. And this is the first thing I think that is the myth that we have to address. So to answer your question, I would say some older people struggle and some older people don't struggle. Just as you said, it, it really depends on who they are, where they are and what interests they have and, and have had. And of course, what resources and infrastructures support um, 
their interest in using technology. So assuming we mean over 65 by older adult, um, my, my response would be any person over 65 doesn't have to struggle with technology. They just need the support to be able to use, use it um, in any form the way they want, which I think Pascal alluded to this. We've seen this happen during the COVID pandemic. People have adjusted. That's very true. And often I'm thinking about the, when you were talking about the framework, that framework is often the people around them, isn't it? And lots of my clients clinically have been main, have maintained their connection with their loved ones because their children, for example, taught them how to use Zoom. And that's allowed them to maintain their interaction with Zoom. Or, and actually, many of my clients have had families move overseas. And, you know, we're, we live further apart now, don't we? So I can see that it, depending on what your situation is depends on how you use and access technology, no matter how old you are. My children would say I'm ancient. So, you know, <laughs> it's, not, it's not one size fits all, does it? Is it? <laughs> Now, Maurizio, perhaps you could introduce yourself and share some of your thoughts on the latest advancements. Do you have any examples of where tech research has already made a difference? Yeah, um, well, thanks, Anna. It's a pleasure to be here with you and my colleagues, Pascal and Leslie. Uh, well, my name is Mauricio Molinari Latte. I am from Costa Rica, so another country in the distinct network. Um, and I'm doing my PhD at the University of Salamanca in Spain. Uh, and that's that's a wonderful question. Well, I'm also a, a, a psychologist, so you can you can see the overview of the whole distinct uh, ES, ESRs. Um, and I think uh, we are at this stage where we are collecting data to know if uh, the technology that we use in our daily activities actually have an impact on people with dementia, their carers, right? Because I think there have been several studies uh, that, that have proved that voice reminders, uh, text messaging, uh, prompts, it, it, it actually works uh, uh, for different conditions, brain injury, for example. And it also have worked for, for, uh, yeah, for dementia. And there are some studies about that. But, but advancements, advancements in technology, it, it's so complicated, right? Because we are uh, developing constantly technology. So, and, and research, we will always be behind of that technology. So maybe we can say, well, yeah, we just proved that text messaging is a wonderful for prompting memory, but it's been, I don't know how many years until we, we had the data. But maybe I can talk about um, a health uh, monitoring management system that actually I know the NHS uh, has uh, funded this study, and I think it's called TIM, T-I-M-H or something like that. Uh, it's very interesting because what they do is uh, using, uh, let's say, like building a smart houses for the patients, right? So it's full of sensors. And uh, what I know uh, now is that they have um, already created this algorithm that they can detect urinary infection. Uh, which is wonderful because urinary infection is one of the main reasons why people get hospitalized again in dementia. So that means it, it, it could prevent and reduce this hospitalization. And well, that's done through, you know, um, 
body temperature sensors and uh, yeah, uh, maybe sensors of how many times the person go to the bathroom. Um, and this system, it just gets this huge amount of data, current data of the person. Uh, and it just go to this clinical team where they just uh, will analyze analyze the data together. And uh, well, I think that's that's a great example. And it actually it's it's related to my project, which I will talk later. But uh, yeah, that's maybe the most advanced I can mention until today. How fascinating! I didn't know about that project, but I can envisage how it could easily link in with care somebody was telling me yesterday about something i didn't know about in the uk um which is a gold system where if you have a complex patient which most of our dementia clients are um then gps are meant to meet within their practice once a month to discuss their gold level patients and i can imagine that kind of data being something that they'd flag up in these gold meetings to make sure they kept on top of the, those clients. It's, that's a wonderful system. That's really exciting. Um, I'm going to come back to distinct now, though, because you've all spoken about uh, we, technology a little bit, but I wondered a little bit more about how you collaborate. Because You, you mentioned, Maurizio, you're in Spain. Leslie, you're in England. Pascal, you're... you're in another country, how do you collaborate and what are the benefits of working within this group? Perhaps we could come to Leslie. Leslie could tell us a little bit about how you collaborate as a group. We collaborate um, in, in a variety of ways. We collaborate because we come from different disciplines um, with various different um, professional backgrounds and experiences. We, it's, it's nice to have the cross-fertilization where we work with people from other disciplines and we can share every, um, every six months we have an official week where we get together and it's supported by Interdem and we have master classes together and we, we actually share and update our progress as researchers. Um, so we get to share our approaches that are, you know, span, span the gamut from uh, conceptually developing projects all the way to implementation so we can share our progress that way and in some instances we share um, within disciplines so the occupational therapists have worked together on uh, papers and projects where we're really basing it on a foundation of occupational science and what we understand related to dementia. Great. So the, how many occupational therapists by background are there in this network? There's four of us. Amazing. So the, it's an occupational therapy, psychology. Are there any other allied health or healthcare professions? That's fascinating. Healthcare, yes, there's, uh, I think there's a doctor uh, and uh, there's a en engineer. So, and I think there's uh, someone that is studying economy. If there's an economist. Yes, we have a um, health economist, uh, an anthropologist and two public health people, people with a public health background. What a fantastic combination. I'm always very biased because as a 
health and healthcare professional myself, I'm biased towards uh, thinking about how research can really impact on people's lives um, quickly. And the fact that you've got such a multidisciplinary collaboration sounds like that means there'll be all of those things considered, both the rigor and the research and the finances, the economy kind of component and the, and the kind of impact and dissemination. But my big question is, because we're talking about tech, are you all techie? Are you all embracing technology in your all in your everyday lives? Are you big techie people, Pascal? Are you a techie person? Uh, well, I wouldn't call me a techie, but yeah, when when something with technology has to be done at home or something, then it's mostly I am in charge of it, not my boyfriend. Um, yeah, but I wouldn't call me a techie in general. I was just always so interested in the intersection of technology and dementia, so how you could help people with dementia through technology. So uh, in my master's, I actually did some programming as well, but uh, really, really basic. So I like this rating scale. So who is in charge of tech in your house, Maurizio? Well, I, I live alone, so it, it would be me. <laughs> me or my dog. <laughs> oh, you or your dog, Maurizio. <laughs> Great. Leslie? Uh, I would definitely say I'm not the techie person in my household, um, which I think is a good thing because it puts me in a position as a researcher, um, researching people with dementia and people who also may not have been exposed to technology, digital technology per, per se. Um, I, I have insight into what that's like because I don't consider myself a techie um, or an early adopter at all. So I, I have the experience of if technology, if I'm going to use it, it has to it has to sing to me. It has to be easy. It has to be fun and sexy and really work. So you, it sounds like a really multidisciplinary um, team full of not only different kind of professional backgrounds, but also people who are more or less techie so you can have all the different types of insight that sounds fantastic yeah yeah and i i want to add something about that uh, uh collaboration of of this thing and it's not only that we have different backgrounds it's that we also have like different cultures and we come we actually the other day i i was i was uh, just thinking about it that and we are representing four continents so that, that's pretty amazing and what this gift to, to the network, it's a vision of not only, you know, Europe, we can say it's, uh, uh, yeah, it, it, it has developed countries in general, right? So dementia, you can see dementia different from a developed country, which is full of resources. But then, for example, Leslie and me, that we come from Latin American Caribbean side, it's completely different, right? Or maybe uh, um, our colleague way that she comes from Singapore. Um, so seeing dementia from different positions and different social cultural backgrounds, I think it gives a lot of power to the network in terms of what can we do for people with dementia around their different conditions, right? Not just in, in certain areas that have more or less held resources. So I think that that's the really powerful thing about the network. Yeah, it, it, I'm sold. This thing, thing sounds fantastic and clearly technology has the potential to make a massive difference, not just in the future, but in 
what's available right now. So I'm going to move us on a bit and get some examples because I want to talk about your projects as well. So Maurizio, I'm going to come straight back to you first. Your project is about psychosocial applications of technology for health and wellness coaching. Is that right? Yes, that's right. And it's meant to be for people living with dementia and carers. So it's both populations. Um, and yeah, well, my project, it aims to develop a, a platform to monitor and assess and offer psychosocial interventions. That's why I said before that the example I gave, it was a bit related to, to my project. Uh, and the idea came uh, due to a current demographic situation that is happening here in Spain, that it's called the empty Spain, which means that the people from rural areas are moving to cities, and especially that population that is moving is young people. So what it remains is people with risk of cognitive impairment or dementia, uh, and also the carers are people that are also in this ages probably um so uh health service delivery has been uh, declined because there's less people there so why we should have uh, a doctor there for example so they have to travel a lot to get to this 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 uh, primary health center so we are trying to build this platform to come uh to these areas offering for example in this case what we're working on is uh it's an iSupport, which is a platform that was developed by WHO, by the World Health Organization, to offer psychoeducation and uh, support training to caregivers. So we are adapting that to Spain and we co-design a platform with people with dementia, people from rural areas to, uh, yeah, to, to help these people from the rural areas to get some some service at the moment it's it's uh it, it's like this magic trick of the magician that cut the body in half because we have the legs and we have the head but there's nothing in between so the core platform is not developed but we are adapting and uh, studying the feasibility of uh and usability of the psychosocial intervention that it right now is this i support and we already know which kind of assessment we want to include in the platform to monitor and assess the patients, that it's a comprehensive geriatric assessment. So, uh, yeah, that's basically my project about and the stage we are now. Exciting. That It reminds me of, I mean, presumably you're focusing on more broadly on, on dementia because I was... There's a, I have a colleague, um, Ida Suarez-Gonzalez, who you may know, she's, um, she's also from, well, she's from Spain, I know you're not from Spain, but she is from Spain and does her research across the UK and here, and she's done, she's done something overlapping, but different, but for rare dementias. I, I think hers has focused less on the kind of psycho, psychosocial and more on social interactional and support, um, I guess, and therapy. Whereas yours sounds, in terms of interventions, what kind of psychosocial interventions are you looking at? Yeah, well, we are, we, we, we're trying, as I said, uh, at the moment we're working with this eye support, uh, but the, what we visualize is to have a kind of group in these rural areas, but that they do not, 
need the health professional to be there. Um, so yeah, through any kind of technology that we can offer the same intervention that we're doing, for example, in the city with a similar group, that we can offer that to them as well. Uh, and it can be just with a volunteer from the community. You know, it doesn't have to be with a health professional there, just someone that can organize it. So uh, that's the plan, uh, but that's very futuristic right now. <laughs> no, I think it's very exciting and um, valuable because that will be very transferable insofar as I think that phenomenon is happening across many countries, isn't it? Where the young people are moving to the urban areas. So it's really valuable work. Um, so thank you so much for sharing that. I'm going to come to Leslie next. Your project is about adapting recovery-orientated approaches and technology to dementia. Can you tell us a bit about that? Yes, my PhD project is focusing on co-developing a digital online intervention for people with mild dementia uh, to start to help them plan with their main primary care partner how to remain engaged in their chosen meaningful activities. So the, the conceptual foundation is based on the recovery approach, which is it's an existing well-known model that's been used in mental health practice for many years, decades, and it leverages uh, basic human needs. The research has found that there are five main subjective feelings that humans need in order to be resilient and have satisfying lives. And those things are um, a sense of connectedness, a sense of hope and optimism, a feeling of maintaining one's identity, a feeling of having meaning in life, and finally, a sense of empowerment. And together, these things spell out CHIME, which has been um, a simple acronym that I find very helpful. It's basically what makes you chime in, in, in your life. What are the things that you wake up in the morning motivated to do? So it's, it's a very holistic approach to the problem of uh, quality of life in dementia. So it's, it's sort of going from the uh, very high-level human approach to how to help people with dementia and their carers as a dyad create a lifestyle and uh, structure their time in ways that will help them remain connected, hopeful, optimistic, feeling that they have an identity and meaning um, despite the progression of dementia. So I'm developing an app and a psychoeducational program that will help the dyad, the person with dementia and their carer, just become aware of these five important concepts and teach them how they connect to their daily lives. And um, that's the psychoeducational part. The tech part is we will have them actually track on a device how their subjective feelings relate to the things that they've done on a daily basis. So that way they can, one, see the connection and also possibly predict what they need to give themselves, <laughs> almost like um, a daily diet of 
activities that provide hope and optimism and a sense of connectedness. And the other interesting piece is we hope that the um, person will be able to know what they should really try to do on a daily basis. Um, and when they become unable to really verbalize or, or decide what they should be doing, their caregivers will already have a record of what is important to this person. And if they change their environment, if they move from home to a nursing home or a care home, the new caregivers would also have a record of what, you know, what makes Bob chime and what makes Georgina, you know, really light up in her life. So what should we make sure to, to keep in her daily activities or in her weekly activities so that she has meaning in her life? I was going to make a really bad joke and say that really <laughs> chimes with me. Um, I, and I've done it now. But it sounds like a really fantastic app with lots of, um, I think our theme outside of the technology today might be transferability because actually this, I can see the transferability of this app to populations outside of dementia. I'm just wondering what, is there, how have you developed this app specifically for or to meet the needs of people with dementia? So it's, it's wonderful that you say that um, because it really is based on uh, the concept that all people need to have chime in their lives with or without illness or disease, but particularly with illness or trauma. It's important to get back to the things that count that are really the markers of personal health. People, you know, may want to get out of bed and stand up, but for what? What what do they want to do? Do they want to cook? Do they want to dress? It's, it's, it's very personal, um, but at the same time, um, it's, it's universal. So it's a tricky way to approach this research question. How do we develop an app that encompasses um, a very human, basic, profound need, but can be personalized to each individual and how the outcomes um, going to be measured in our very biomedical world. So we're, I'm happy to use uh, a concept of patient-reported outcome measures. So the patient themselves, and I, I mean patient, what I mean is the user, um, the user decides what's important to them and how important each uh, goal is, and they determine their own scaling of meeting the goals or um, what are the thresholds that are um, should become alerts for for attention so for example if someone says well it's really important to me to be able to see my grandchildren or my children then they may say well I want to do that twice a week um, three times a week would be great uh, if it doesn't happen over two weeks, then I'm probably going to feel disconnected. And if that can be tracked, then it helps the person with um, dementia and the families know, okay, we really need to organize a gathering, um, make sure, you know, granddad gets to see the grandkids and the cousins. 
So that I don't know if that answers your question. Yeah, no, it sounds it sounds very familiar and um, almost like a modified version of goal attainment scaling, which is it is it is exactly goal attainment. Oh, okay, scaling. which is really um, relevant to my research. We use that approach a lot, and clinically, I think goal attainment scaling has lots of value for for people with dementia, and it's not necessarily been used much in the research field I think we could use it a lot more effectively to show what you're describing yes. Leslie I think that's great yes. I'm really pleased I'm, to hear that I'm so excited that you say that because it's true it hasn't been used and it it needs to be taken advantage of because really it's it's the user that really says is this good enough for me or is it working so goal, goal attainment scaling is is one of the theoretical approaches that I'm using in the research and Given you're working, we're working with people with progressive diseases, measuring outcomes is so challenging. Goal attainment is really person-centered and looks at individualistic perspectives. I, I'm a big fan. But I'm going to make sure that we talk to Pascal now because Pascal's been having a couple of techie issues. But actually, your work's the most techie from what it sounds like. I think your project's about improving social participation in dementia with the geographic information system-based intervention called, is it Viamigo? That, that sounds very techy. It's hard, uh, very techy, that's true. Yeah, the, the Viamigo, it's, it's actually a mobile application. So it sounds really techy in the title, but it's uh, actually a mobile application that has been developed by a university in Belgium, the Hasselt University. Um, and they originally developed it for people with intellectual disabilities um, so that they can uh, go somewhere independently while, for example, a family uh, caregiver can uh, monitor the route and see, okay, the person gets there safely. Um, so the Viamigo uh, sees the location of the user and sends also notifications to the um, caregiver, for example, okay, this is maybe a tricky zone. He has to get on the bus. Um, does he get on the right bus or not? And yeah, and now we want to see if that could also be something for people with dementia in a very early stage. So people with dementia living uh, at home. Because what, yeah, what I often see is that family underestimates what the person with dementia can actually do independently. Uh, and one thing is going going outside, going somewhere, meeting someone alone, um, finding the way. And with this application, maybe maybe it could help to improve, uh, in, on the one hand, uh, the, the social participation of the person with dementia so that the person gets more in contact with others outside of their home. But also, on the other hand, that the um, family caregiver is um, less worried about the person and can see, okay, the person gets safe there. Fascinating. Yeah, that's what my project is about. I think you're right that we, and I think all of us here, we have experience of working with people with dementia. We know, you, you hear families saying things, underestimating their, their relative skills all the time, don't we? Um, so I can see the, the kind of, that's quite an exciting initiative. And I think this idea of getting lost is huge. It's one of the biggest fears, isn't it? Is that fair? Um, 
Yeah, well, I think that orientation is something in, in the early phase that could uh, could become a problem for someone living with dementia um, to see where am I, uh, how do I find my way back home. But actually with some small cues, maybe uh, you, you can you can help with that and facilitate that. Um, yeah, and that's why we want to try out, could this app be something for uh, people living with dementia? What do they think of it? Do they think it's useful? Is it easy to use? Um, yeah, that's what it's all about. Well, thank you so much, Pascal. This is so brilliant. Three amazing projects that could all clearly have a really practical difference in people's lives. And there's so much transferability. I think that's my second theme for the session. Um, so thank you for sharing. There are 12 other projects just like these. And you can find out more information at DementiaDistinct.com. Now, I'm afraid that's all we have time for today. But before we go, I've got one last question for you all. Just a quick tidbit. What advice would you all have for anyone coming into this field of research? Let's go with Pascal first. One piece of advice? I think the biggest advice that I have, maybe also coming from my occupational therapy perspective, um, focus on the individual. And that's so hard in research, right? Because we really want to generalize findings to a big population. Uh, but every person with dementia is so different, how they experience, what they experience, how they manage their daily life. So yeah, also use research methods, maybe not only on the quantitative side, but also really look into their individual experiences. Thank you, Pascal. Maurizio? Well, I think my advice is that you have to know what are the needs and be familiar with, 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 with this kind of, of people and, and their families, of course, because, well, at least I always have thought that we focus a lot on the person that is living with dementia, but there's a whole bunch of people around that they also need uh, yeah, some support. So I will say that if you want to get into researching dementia, just go maybe volunteer or have some work with these people uh, and with their families and, and just feel it. Just, just see what they need. Uh, and I think that's something that I, I have had the opportunity to work with these people and see what they need. And, and then you think about a lot of ideas that it might help. So, yeah, that will be my, my advice for today. And lastly, Leslie, top tip. Um, top tips for anyone wanting to do research in dementia. I agree with both of my colleagues, Pascal and Mauricio, that the person is central. In, in the research and um, it really it really is um, we need fresh ideas this is dementia is a social problem and we need people who really can come at the research from a social science perspective because we already have a lot of people doing great things um, working on drugs and at the cellular level um, that's been the focus primarily up till now but we need really a look at fresh social systems to take care of the increasingly growing older population, particularly with dementia, 
in ways that convey, you know, dignity and compassion. And that, that spans research that's in the social sciences, policies, implementation across the field. So I would welcome um, the multidisciplinary approach. Well, I'm just going to do a bit of a recap. I think today's podcast has really emphasized that technology research in dementia can break down boundaries. It can increase access for people who don't have access to psychosocial interventions, to people living uh, their everyday lives who need access to day-to-day -day support to, to improve their well-being and actually support their carers to improve their well-being and equally support carers and family members to maintain their independ the, the independence of the people with dementia. And to do this, we need a multidisciplinary team in the broadest sense, not just kind of skill-based, but also culturally. And we need to talk to people living with dementia and talk to them individually, get to know these people. Um, so I'd like to thank our incredible guests, Pascal Hines, Leslie Gra Grazia, and Maurizio Olate. And I think I hope I've said your names correctly. <laughs> and we'll be back on Wednesday with three more guests from the Distinct Programme discussing their research and things to think about when setting up your own tech research studies. Now, I'm Anna Volkmer, and you have been listening to the Dementia Researcher podcast. Thanks, everyone. Goodbye. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye. Brought to you by DementiaResearcher.nihr.ac.uk in association with Alzheimer's Research UK and Alzheimer's Society, supporting early career dementia researchers across the world.